Hey everybody and welcome to the Fiscal Frisk. I'm your host, Zach Hunter. Did you like that song? That is a new and upcoming London musician, Chase Drew. Make sure you go check out all of his music and all, all streaming platforms now and give it some love. As always, I have Devin Box beside me. Devin, say some wise words. Um, hi. There we go. Devin specializes <laughs> in the healthcare industry and hosts his own podcast called the Health Science Podcast. So if you want to hear insightful uh, things like hi, make sure you go check them out. <laughs> new, new. The podcasts are more in depth than that. Don't worry. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, here's what we do. We review and break down literature relating to fiscal and or monetary policy with the goal in hand to make the paper more understandable for you guys. Devin's just here to act on behalf as a non-expert in the policy field, and it's just here to sleep, seek clarification when needed and to keep me on track because we know I am known to ramble. Oh, yeah. Now, I loved our conversation over the past several episodes, specifically about social spending and the economic benefits and constraints mm -hmm. with taxation. Um, so today, we're going to kind of put this all together, and uh, the paper that, that we're going to be covering is called Social Spending During the Crisis which the title gives away, which we're looking at a lot of countries and their social spending expenditure habits during the financial crisis of 2008. I'm not going to define the financial crisis. If you want to learn more about that, we cover that in the basics episode, which mm -hmm. is our second episode and have a whole conversation as well as what the public spending is um, in another episode. So if you want that background information, make sure you guys go check out those episodes. You know what I said? It was funny is <laughs> the other day, um, we had, what's the one um, uh, Black Eyed Peas song? Said something about like can't get enough. Like oh, like you're you're two thousand and late or something. But it was yeah. two thousand eight when they recorded that. And yeah. then Alia, for people who don't know, is my girlfriend. She's like, that's when the uh, financial crisis was. I learned that on Zach's podcast. And I'm like, good, we're learning. We're learning. There we go. <laughs> Um, so the main takeaway from this episode is uh, during some of the past episodes and the issue that I find with a lot of the papers that I cover relating to fiscal and monetary policy is it really doesn't take into account some of the social or ethical questions when it comes to higher like to higher spending and government spending. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we just look at the economic benefit and sometimes that is not enough. Uh, so this just tends to be because it's more hypotheticals and you know, as much fun as us talking about hypotheticals would be, uh, we could do that all day and it wouldn't make for much of a good conversation mm -hmm. and we don't really have numbers to back it up. We got to so, be objective, which it, the numbers yeah, are objective, but exactly. it is nice to, to talk about the other stuff. Mm -hmm. So the point of this paper was just to look at social spending just during the global recession of 2008 to 2012 and just look at how different countries reacted. And it goes into more depth into some of those social and ethical questions that me personally and what we'll talk about later is some of those questions that I didn't even think about. And, you know, sometimes we try to get... Uh, tiptoey around some of the conversation because we don't want to get again too hypothetical but this yeah. will just be a good way to kind of bring those back into uh, like a conversation but more in, in in an objective way yeah sounds not, good not just us yeah exactly cool all right so why social spending during the crisis if you looked at uh the previous tax episode and the social spending episodes it seems that there's a consensus that with the most recent financial crisis of 2007 to 2008 there has been an increase in public spending and it has not gone down since the global uh, economic crisis has had a major impact on the share of the economic resources absorbed by the welfare state for those that just is a fancy way of 
more money to people that are worse off. Okay. Uh, by the way, this data is all taken by the OECD, which is just an organization for economic cooperation and development, which is just a global oversight body that just looks specifically at how economies work. So all this data is taken from there. Uh, the data that we're going to be looking at today, it shows across countries the social spending to GDP ratios. And the graph shows that GDP ratios, the spending has increased from 19% from 2007, so before the financial crisis, to 22% of GDP in 2011, and has remained high. So this 3% increase has stayed steady. And again, it's important to note that these ratios to GDP uh, might 3% of a ratio might not seem like a lot, but say, look at the US, it's the biggest economy in the world, it's $21.44 trillion, 3% is a lot of money. If you look at yeah. just social spending, if you increase that 3%. Oh, yeah. So even though it might seem like a small number, a 3% increase globally of social spending for a housing failure of 2008 in the US that is very significant. It's a lot of money. Yeah. So yeah. that goes back to my original question of why during a crisis should there be higher social spending? And there are two main thoughts for increased spending. Um, and the first is public spending goes up to address the greater need for social support, such as unemployment or a housing benefit. People don't have money. The government should step in and help those people. Or two, uh, GDP grows slowly or declines. And now obviously this just makes sense numerically because if your GDP declines, that ratio will increase. So even if social mm -hmm. spending stays constant, if GDP decreases, that ratio therefore increases. Yeah. So just by definition, those are the two ways that <laughs> why social spending makes sense. Uh, the first chart that they introduce is social spending to GDP ratios, which highlight or point earlier to what we said is that social spending has increased in 2008, but has stabilized since. But that's because we have not seen another crisis, like except right now. When was this paper written though? Uh, 2015. Okay. No. That makes sense. So it makes sense. Life like, was peachy then. Yeah. No. Life was great then. <laughs> The economy was thriving. Like they, they don't know the COVID, yeah. the COVID issue. No. And so what they realized, so again, stabilized, like increase and then stabilized after 2008. And that was um, social spending. The GDP ratios has increased that 3%. And, and then it also graphed economic growth on top of that. And it had the app, the opposite trend where it declined from 2008 and then it edged up from 2009 to 2010 and then stabilized after that. But that makes sense that they follow like a counter cyclical cycle because if your ratios go up, that obviously like that you're spending more money, that means your economic growth isn't doing well. Like that's makes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and obviously because of crises, uh, economic growth would not increase and it was stabilized after because of an increase in social spending. So what's the conclusions that we can make from uh, what what conclusions can we make about all countries? So obviously the crisis was a global one. All countries were affected and and there has been a wide differences between countries and how they were affected and why some countries were affected more than others. 
For example, 2007 to 2009 and 2011 to 2012, the decline in real social spending and real GDP was only very large in Greece. But obviously, there was a lot more going on there with, uh, you know, corrupt governments and uh, their uh, their own monetary failures. But um, so there's way more like, again, we can scratch into the surface that for another time. But that was like, that's just another way of saying that there was still countries that even decrease their uh, real social spending. And obviously, we can see they didn't recover from it so well. Um, and then some countries, such as Netherlands, uh, increased their social spending by up to 10%, which this closely reflected the OECD average. And then some countries, like Korea, uh, had to increase their social spending by upwards of almost 30%. 30. 30. Jeez. So, yeah, that's like a third <laughs> a lot of more money. is a lot of money. Uh, so they made a table. Now, this is, will be hard to explain. So, Devin, let me know if you have any questions. So they graphed 32 countries in the OECD by their trends in real social spending. So this is the horizontal axis and economic growth is the vertical axis. And this mm -hmm. was between 2007 and 2008 and 2011 and 2012. Then the countries were grouped on the basis of whether growth in GDP and social spending over this period of time has big, been significant. So it's set up like a tic-toe, tic-tac-toe gra like graph. So there's nine quadrants. And the vertical change in real GDP bottom is the below average. And then the middle would be the far, like the middle one. And then above average would be the upper. Okay. And then going horizontally, this is the ch change in social spending. So if you spend more in social spending and you have high economic growth, you'd be in the far right quadrant. Top right? Top right. And yeah. then if you spend a lot less and really low economic growth, bottom it'd left. be in the bottom left. There you go. You even beat me to it. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, now what it showed was countries with below average social spending also had below average change in D GDP. So these countries included, um, Greece, Hungary, Iceland, Italy, Portugal. Again, these are all interesting because as we can see, these are all countries that really fully haven't, um, came back with like got out of the struggle after the crisis. Like these are countries that are still not best off economically. Mm -hmm. And these were countries that during the recession actually decreased social spending or less than average. And they actually got the worst out of it for economic growth. Okay. Uh, most countries that were about the average change in social spending saw an average change in the GDP growth. So these are countries like Austria, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, France. And again, this was just interesting um, because it seems like what you put in is what you got out. So if you did an average, then your GDP growth was average. If you did less, then it was less. And then we saw this for the uh, countries who had above average change in social spending. They had a above average change in GDP. So like what we said, Korea with a 30% increase, Australia, Norway, Switzerland, and Chile. Uh, and then I found this th very interesting. So how it looked like was, again, tic-tac-toe. It was... Uh, it's a line. It's a line. It's a positive correlation. It's a very positive correlation. One to one. Yes. 
So it was that there was this strong correlation here with the more social spending that you had was strictly correlated to the change in GDP. So countries who took longer to recover from the crisis was actually the countries that who did not spend a lot of money, which, yeah. you know, <laughs> you would think, you know, just like numerically, if you spent less money to try to recover from the recession, you wouldn't think if they spent less money, you think that there wouldn't be a lot wrong with the economy, but actually they had the slowest economic growth to actually come out of the recession and the countries who yeah. spent a lot of money were actually able to come out of the recession quicker. Because mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, if you're Korea and you increase your social spending by 30%, that's a lot of extra money. So you think it would kind of take the, like their economic growth would actually hinder or actually struggle mm -hmm. because they wouldn't, like that's such a huge increase, but they actually had some of the largest economic increases. Yeah, but what about go government inefficiencies? Yeah. Like, I mean, most of the numbers we've seen, especially in times of crisis, like government inefficiencies don't really seem to be a thing. Like yeah. For the most part, the spending seems to be doing its job for all yeah. intents well, and, and purposes. That's the one thing that we've learned from this podcast, <laughs> right. right? Is like all these people cry, uh, like government inefficiencies, government um, don't, don't know how to spend money. And what we've seen is uh, like the absolute opposite of yeah. where the government, the, again, this is just another example. If you go back and watch the previous episodes, um, every time that we look at government spending, it seems like the governments actually do know how to spend their money. Yeah. And or again, I guess we could, I wanted to maybe even clarify too, is like, this is just a correlation though, right? So yeah. technically you could just have that, you know, countries that happen to do well, had the money to spend on their all like, yeah. and I mean, it could also be the other way around that this is just an association. Mm -hmm. So, right. Like, well, and if you look at the countries, right. Uh, all the Nordic countries were in the middle cause like they already had high social spending. So they didn't need to necessarily have another crazy increase in social spending Yeah, or like countries like Canada. And like we got out of the recession really quickly too, where uh, we did not need to spend a, in like above average increase. But we, but again, it was just interesting that we only got the average. Well, it's where did they GDP start growth. too? Yeah. yeah, like where where were these well, countries before? I bet this you, stuff. like, yeah, and like that's a number, like another thing that the, I don't have the numbers here, um, but like again, I bet you Korea's pre thirty percent increase would be lower, yeah, a lot lower than some of those Nordic countries, obviously, right? Yeah. Just because beforehand social spending, but yeah. it's nice to know you know, uh, even with different political ideologies and other stuff. And even with Canada, the conservatives, conservatives were in at the time and they saw that the recession, you know, usually that means a lot less government intervention. And, um, there was actually a lot more government intervention. So Which like they weird. were able to swallow up their pride. Realistically, realistically saw this, uh, the cost benefit analysis. And like, they realized that the government was actually the most efficient place. Yeah. Yeah. So no, all, that was <laughs> all I know is just government inefficiencies has left the chat yeah. at this point in the podcast to be following it. Yeah. They, they ain't too happy. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, the one thing that we always talk about social spending and we always talk about like the GDP growth, but like, why do governments need the money? Um, and why do they increase spending? So what are they using it on? Spending is uh, used on three main things. And these are some of like, these are like these social and um, ethical views 
um, that we were talking about earlier that I thought were... Can I guess some of them? Go ahead. Um, infrastructure. Yes. Well, so unemployment and infrastructure is okay. like the one. And uh, then the second, what do you I'll think? I'll keep going. Never mind. That oh, was my only guess. You, you get one more guess. <laughs> what do you think? Um, I don't know. But you, you, you group those. I was the only other one I could think of is like, you know, um, like social support as far as unemployment checks, right. kind of stuff like that. Yeah. So social support and families. Oh, so that's, that's another one. That's another one. I've got two of them. Got okay. Two out of the three. third one I'm lost. But. <laughs> All right. So spending on unemployment compensation, uh, has increased a lot, uh, during recession times. Again, that makes sense. Uh, unemployment, we can get into this, uh, further. There's like three different kinds of unemployment and a lot of it is during times of economic downturn. Um, you can't support that level of jobs. And when the private sector can no longer give those jobs, uh, the government sometimes feels responsible to come in and give those people those jobs. So on average in the countries of the OECD, um, it's about 0.7% of GDP and it increased to 1.1% of GDP within like those three years. On unemployment stuff. Of unemployment stuff. So So that's almost... Uh, two times the amount than like what it was usually. So yeah. that's again, huge increase. Yep. And there's also an increase in the uh, average public spending in just the labor market programs. So this would just be um, finding ways to even get people jobs. Right. Um, and that was just 0.6% of GDP. It's not a huge part, but it's also enough to uh, make its way onto the podcast. So unemployment, which makes sense if you're in a crisis, people are getting laid off, fired, uh, employment is tight, so the government would relieve this by increasing unemployment or help people find jobs. Uh, The next biggest one is family support, and they don't have the numbers specifically, but they graph the family spending as a percentage of GDP, just specifically on family spending. Uh, because we see the rise of numbers of low-income families because of recessions. Uh, if you're middle in, like middle income class, if you no longer have income, you will become low income because you do not have income anymore. That just makes sense. Like I'm not a math guy. But yeah, exactly. It's, it's adding up. It is. <laughs> um, and so these are uh, take up benefits such as child tax benefits in Canada, as we would know it. And uh, the number of like the baby bonus with the maximum payments and um, all of that jazz. So some countries such as Ireland and UK, where uh, it was three to 3.6% of GDP respectively, they increased their family supports by upwards of one to 2%. So again, almost doubling the amount of family spending Mm -hmm. of GDP, which I thought was interesting. And um, something that maybe we could talk about was um, the family spending, I thought would be kind of a little further down the list of what would be most important during a recession. Cause like uh, even if we just, uh, just talk about COVID uh, the, the bailout programs that we see are like businesses serve for individuals and that type of stuff. And it's not necessarily towards the, the family. Right. And I thought it was just interesting um, that family spending was one of the main increases of it because Families are pretty much what keeps the economy going. Like those are the people that need to go out and get groceries every week. Those are the people that need like, you know, like if they don't have that income anymore, those are the ones that need that. So the increase, because like if you are a low income family with like lots of children and like you lost your job, that would make sense. And that was just something I never really viewed before 
because as like a business major, you just hear of like government bailouts for like businesses or like those sort of things or mm-hmm. unemployment. It's not really like a, oh, let's think about the families and it, like, you know, like the middle class, that's what everyone talks about. That's the majority of people, right? They're just like, oh, the middle class, the middle class. So, and it, it shows you just how volatile the middle class may be is during a recession, you know, like they're actually maybe on the lower end of middle class and where this recession actually puts them into low income classes, which the government can't have because we need the spending into the economy. That's what stimulates the economy. So it's just a very interesting uh, a viewpoint. And then the final part uh, point that they make and the most important um, and I want to talk about this for a while is pensions and healthcare and the idea of demographic pressuring. So I found this most interesting, especially because we live in Canada. Um, we, as we can see, we have a very aging demographic. Uh, boomers are starting to get old. They cost the healthcare system a lot of money and such as things as government pensions. So OAS and CPP, so old age security and uh, the, like the Canadian pension plan. This is taking up a lot of pressure on the system and the population structure is a key driver of social spending which i thought was very interesting i've never really viewed of this before especially of like the 2008 recession is um so countries with a young population are much less likely to have a higher social spending the gdp ratios than countries with older populations so wait sorry countries with older populations have to spend more per gdp yeah, because of For government those services. Ran, yeah, yeah, because of those services. And again, like I'm specifically thinking about this as a Canadian because we have free health care yeah. and um, government ran pensions. And I, I never thought of that before of where, um, you know, we always talk about like the aging demographic, like they're one of the most important demographics. But I never realized, you know, they're the one that actually would use the social spending probably the most because they're mm-hmm. in the healthcare system the most or like because of the pensions or because of where they're at economically. Right. So that was just something I never really thought of this lens before yeah. and how much this demographic actually has on social spending. And if you think of it, uh, think of countries with an aging population, like an aging demographic and a crisis hits. And the stock market tanks, right? Because you can see, like, when a crisis hits, the stock market will go down. Um, where these investors are the these elderly people, you would need to increase these stimulus packages because if they're, like, this is their livelihood, this is their income, right? So just to keep, like, the sanity of your aging population, because if, so if you, t- if you have an el- elderly population, and they don't trust the stock market. So everyone takes all of their money out. It will just further make the stock market go down or further like make the bank have to hold more money, which costs the can like the Canadian government more money. So it makes sense that the costs associated with this, like it's actually in the best interest of the governments to increase these stimulus packages. And like it actually prevents the costs of those costs associated with like holding that money or holding like the overall like economy view, which is just something I've never viewed because of like this crisis. Like you don't think about the aging population or like the people like for the great recession of 2008, think about the seniors that were no longer able to have their houses and they lost their mortgages and lost their houses too. Right. Yeah. 
I just, yeah, it's, it's neat to see how much, I would say power, that might not be the right route, but how much influence they have on that market and, and how important it is to stabilize that by, like you said, sending a stimulus package specifically to that group. And that would mm -hmm. depend on the population of your country, right? Yeah. So the, I think this paper did a very great job of just instead of directly looking at economic benefits, it took like those layers back and looked at like the spending at unemployment and like low income families and the view of aging demographics. And I feel like now it makes a little more sense why countries like Canada or Nordic countries who have an aging population, why their social spending would obviously not decrease because of a crisis and why you would need it need it to stay this high and at least until the demographic changes mm -hmm. and i feel even then it won't decrease it just will change the focus of where the money like goes because realistically if you think of it um it, you think it would just change and go so if we have an elderly population it changes to a younger population you would switch from health care and pensions to education for younger people and programs for younger people because that would be the new demographic would be younger, which would be like students or mm -hmm. upbringing. So that's just some good food for thought, I feel. Uh, do you have any final comments or questions? No, I, I'm glad you brought it up though because I always I always look with, with you know, interest groups and people online voicing their opinions and, and what program needs and what programs are getting cut and stuff like that too. Yeah. So. You know, I think a lot of times when, when people kind of say, hey, you know, this is what the numbers say, they don't really talk about um, the specifics of where those social programs go to. And yeah, um, that's why I always say with the, the schooling thing in Ontario and the agreement that the, the government reached with the, the teachers unions was like that. I, I didn't want to have an opinion on that because it was so complex. Yeah. And I, I even considered that. I'm thinking like we, we've got a lot of older people in our country, right? Maybe... We don't need as much education again. Yeah. And that that's not where my final resting place on the situation was. But like, that's something that um, I had actually kind of thought about too. And I'm glad we could actually talk about it and put yeah. some numbers behind that. Because it's, it's, a, it's a real force that needs to be dealt with at the governmental level. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Well, thanks for all the good insights. That was a good conversation. So thanks everyone for listening to The Fiscal Frisk. I will leave the reference and my contact information in the description for you to explore and for any questions or concerns or studies and articles that you want us to cover next. As always, I'm your host, Zach Hunter, alongside Devin Box. Make sure to listen to his podcast, the Health Science Podcast, every Tuesday and Thursday. Also, make sure to give love to our buddy Chase Drew's music and all streaming platforms. Stay safe and we'll see you next episode.